The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Need to Measure. I'm Nick Donaghy. My guest today is... On this episode of Made to Measure, we are joined by Adjua Aban. Adjua is a principal quantity surveyor claims consultant and business owner living in Perth, Western Australia. Adjua is originally from Ghana. She studied quantity surveying in the famous Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh, Scotland. She also has an LLM in construction law and arbitration and is currently a PhD student at Curtin University in Western Australia. Adjua has experience working as a quantity surveyor in Ghana, the UK, and Australia across multiple different verticals. It was great to hear her perspective on the various different industries and locations she has worked in, as well as gaining her thoughts on professional development and starting a consultant business from scratch. This is a great episode and I really hope you enjoy it. This is McDonaghy. This is Made to Measure. And my guest today is Adjua Aban. How's it going, Adjua? I'm good, thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. No, no problem, no problem. So for the audience out there, Adjua, do you mind introducing yourself and what it is that you do, as I can never do justice? My name is Adjua Alban. I'm the principal consultant for Quantum Faces Consortium. I'm also a casual academic with Curtin University, and I run Quantum Faces Consortium. Excellent, excellent. So it's great to, to have you on the, the podcast today. Adjua, what, what I'm pretty keen to do is just a little bit find out a little bit more about you and your career and how you got involved in, in, in construction. So go, going right back then, um, why did you decide to, to get into the construction sector, Adjua? Uh, I think um, my interest in construction started very early. I remember when um, I was about 12 years, grade six, they were about. And in my home country, I come from Ghana. My parents were decided to um, extend our house, our existing townhouse, into um, a five-bedroom house. So in, at the back of the house, they, um, we got builders in and they started doing the construction and excavation. So I got pretty much um, interested in how everything else is going to come together. So um, every now and then of the school, I would look at the, um, the builders going on and building the, um, the buildings from scratch. So from that end, uh, my interest in construction and interest in building rose. So I took up, um, in my junior school, I took up technical drawings, which will be um, the basis of trying to um, get together, how to put plans together and things from that end. So as we um, kept on going uh, from there, I um, seen the building evolve from the bare land to actually building it up, my interest um, grew as well. So from that end, I went on to do a major in um, 
in mathematics, uh, physics, chemistry, mathematics, uh, preparing me for um, what I'm going to do in the polytechnic or what I'm going to do in the university. So from then on, whilst I, uh, I looked at the building going on, one of the things at some point the building stopped. So I asked the question, oh, why? Why is the building stopped? Why is it not going anymore? But then I was told my parents said, oh, what about money that we saved up? That's what we um, use that for. Because in Ghana, at the time, there's no mortgages. There's not things like that. Whatever you work and you save up for, you use that to build. So whatever they had at the time, they finished it. So that's where the building stopped until they save up to be able to continue. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it would be interesting to go into a field whereby you would know how much the building is going to cost. Then you can be able to put all the money together. Then you can, well, you start from start to finish without stopping. And yeah. most at the time, most um, Ghanaians, that's what they do. They don't have mortgages. They just save up and build as they go along. So it takes, not, uh, it takes a longer time to build. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, from then on, I... Um, I did. Uh, I majored in um, uh, physics, chemistry, maths to be able to um, get me to do to do architecture to go into the building um, course in my university. From then on, I did a diploma in building technology, and that's when everything else came together. Yeah. So with that, you had all the opportunity. Had all the um, you do engineering, you do everything else. I'm like everything else is coming alive. Yeah. So, seen, yeah. So did you study what? what did you study quantity surveying or what, what degree or um, what avenue did you go towards? Well, I did, um, um, I, for my diploma, I did um, building technology, then um, went off to do um, quantity surveying with um, Harold Watt University in um, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. So what, what, did you have to go to Edinburgh or was it online or? No, I had to go to Edinburgh. So once I finished my building technology, which I did it in, um, the, in Ghana, I did. I worked a little bit, then um, applied to go um, the university in Edinburgh. Then I got the chance to go in. So once I was in there, I was able to um, get into a course which is specifically quantity surveying. Yeah. So then everything else was like coming alive. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was it like then going from Ghana to Edinburgh? I'm sure there must have been it must have been quite different. Oh, it was a shocker. <laughs> <laughs> so for a, for a girl that um, um, hasn't um, traveled much outside um, Ghana to all of a sudden find her way into um, Edinburgh, I, I, my, my, um, I had family and relatives in, in London, so I lived with them a little bit then before going to Edinburgh, which about two weeks, and I went to Edinburgh. And being there all by myself, it was um, exciting at the same time, like, <gasps> It's me. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> I, I, need to, um, I need to make a life for myself and enjoy um, Edinburgh and everything. And it, it was pretty exciting. I loved it. Yeah. I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I know that Harriet Watt produces some of the, the best quantity surveyors in the world. Yeah, because yeah, um, I started recruiting back in Ireland. And a lot okay. of the, the work that I used to recruit for was based in Scotland. Yeah. Um, so I used to always go like look at everyone who graduated from Harriet Watt and I'd be trying to reach out to them and, and seeing what they were up to but it's amazing that it's still like relevant even in Australia that yeah. it's, it's such a great school or great university yeah, yeah. And, and so what were the what were the the main challenges for you then going I guess completely different culture 
different society, you know, the whole other side of the world. I'm sure there must have been, it must have been challenging in some ways. It was challenging. Well, leaving my parents and my siblings there and going to um, Scotland all by myself. But also it was a choice of learning how to live by myself, living um, um, by myself in a country that I haven't been to, been to or in a, um, traveling out by myself. I was trying to um, be able to be independent, which is one, and it coupled with my love for traveling. Traveling all the way there, seeing all these things, um, I think it gives you some form of mind opener. It opens your mind to other things, to accept the culture of the people there. And trust me, the, Scotland, the Scottish people are, are nice. <laughs> I, have, I didn't for once feel that I was different or um, I, I was a foreigner. I was welcomed everywhere I went. Every, everybody I talked to was amazing. Yeah, my, my, my colleague who I work with every day, he, he's Scottish and um, he, he has his moments, let, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so what, what was the next move then once you'd, once you'd finished your, your, your education in, in Scotland? Yeah, so once I finished my education, I, um, I couldn't get a job. I wanted to stay in Scotland, but I couldn't get a job in Scotland. So I went back to London to um, work. So I worked in London for about five years. And during my time in London um, and working as a PQS, my uh, interest for contracts was some of the things that were coming up. So I was like, oh, okay, um, quantity surveying is not as it is. There's more to it than quantity surveying. And so um, I was doing more of contract, trying to put the JCT together and things like that. So I said, okay, I'll um, go back to school. I spoke to my director at the time. And I said, oh, I, I really want to do um, um, construction law and understand a bit more of con contracts. So he said, oh, that's fine. Go for it. Whatever you want to do, it's fine. It, it will help you. It will enhance your career. So go for it. So I applied to um, Robert Gordon University to do um, construction law and arbitration. And again, the interest was stemmed from the fact that as I can be an advocate, that's what I wanted to be, an advocate in the uh, construction industry, working with my understanding of quantity surveying and how it works, and also studying to be an arbitrator or going down that path. I can be able to combine the two and, and be a better person or, or be able to advocate for the industry, for the subcontractors and the, thing, um, and the contractors that I think they always have the issue of not putting their books together, not understanding what it is that they need to do. So being an advocate, I would be able to explain, I would be able to be that advocate to, um, to work on them, to help them to be able to get their books in, in scratch in terms of variations and claims that may happen. That, that, that was my interest at the time and in going forward and doing construction law and doing arbitration and combining with it with quantity survey. Yeah. So did you take time out to go back to university and study construction law or did you do that at the same time when you were when you were working or? I did that. I did that um, online. They start learning. Oh, yeah. So I was still I was still working. I didn't want to take time off. I, 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 um, I was still working and at the same time um, doing that online. So that was good. So yeah. what were the benefits of, of, of studying like arbitration and, and construction law? The benefit I know most considering the fact that you, you have an in-depth understanding of the contract. Mm -hmm. And not just um, one contract, you have in-depth understanding of how the, um, the all the contracts are put together, 
the thing about contract is all the contracts, wherever you go, they are, they are the same. They all have a fundamental principle. So in, in, in considering the fundamental principles, what it is that you need to understand to make sure that your obligation as a contractor or your obligation as an, the owner of the, of the project, everybody does what they need to do for the project to work. Mm-hmm. Even though the contractor has been contracted through, it's much more, we all have a common goal of making sure that the project is successful. Mm-hmm. That was my interest. Brilliant. I know that a lot of, uh, of the contract managers and contract specialists in Australia on that contractor side typically come from that type of background or more so than, than a typical sort of quantity surveying degree. You know, yeah. like I'd have clients who would say to me, I'm, I'm keen from someone to come from a construction law background because of that in-depth understanding of, of contracts where then it's even going to have even more benefit once you've got that quantity surveying yeah beside as well you'll be able to best advise your clients and I suppose, stakeholders in, in in the best possible way but i guess if there's if there's someone out there who's considering studying construction law at the same time as working is it something that you would you would recommend ajwa yes i'm um, highly i highly recommend that why because what it does for you as um and somebody with a uh, uh, with a qs background is to give you an eye opener is to give you that sort of understanding to know that the, that the project or your bit as a quantity surveyor it doesn't stay there as a uk based um uk trained quantity surveyor you realize that you, you deal with the contracts you deal with the um the um the program if you're a pqs you deal with all the bits and pieces together mm-hmm. so for for you to have that understanding of contract and how it keeps all these parts together is important it enhances your knowledge when you when you are looking at a project you look at it holistically you don't look at it in part of my part is just a quantity surveying bit and that's it no you look at it looking at the fact that what is the other person doing and not do it yeah that would jeopardize the project yeah absolutely yeah and how, how was it then managing your time, studying and, and working? I mean, that must have been quite difficult. Yeah, I think, um, um, well, um, I, I was single by then, so um, it was just me um, just getting on with it, just working, working as much as I can and studying in between. And again, it, it wasn't so much of a big deal when you are single and you don't have much to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have um, that much of a social life, so I just yeah. get on with it. Just kept going. So yeah. you, you threw yourself into it and, and, and made it work then? Yeah, just getting there and, and work. I didn't have social life. My family and there were, were pretty much okay. They understood, well, you have two things to do. You have your, you know, you are working and you are um, schooling. And at the same time, I had a part-time job as well. So I was trying to just keep myself. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a classic sort of immigrant mentality, though, isn't it? Like you, you're you're out there, you're you want to take as much from it as you can. You want to study yes. and work, and like that's like me. Even I, I'm Irish, but living in Australia, I'm like, well, I want to try and take as much of this as I can, which which is great. So, how, how did you end up in, in Australia then, Ajwa? That must be a story behind that. <laughs> yeah, um, I think my um, 
my my boyfriend at the time moved from Ghana to um, Australia. So um, we I also moved to um, Australia and um, we got married. Mm-hmm. So I came to Australia um, to get married, and once we 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 got married, I decided to uh, move over mm-hmm. from UK to here. And um, coming here, we 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 lived in Queensland mm-hmm. in Mackay, was a mining the mining town. My husband is a, a, a geotech a geotechnical civil engineer. Mm-hmm. So typically uh, in a mining town, they need um, those kind of workers. So he was working for a company there at the time. So we lived there. Uh, we lived in Mackay for five years. Mm-hmm. We lived in Mackay for five years, which was. Makai is beautiful. It's a quiet town, and with the um, at the time I had a, a young family at the time, it was great mm-hmm. to live in live in there. And in five years, he um, we moved over to um, Perth to here again to give me um, um, bigger opportunities. The problem that what we had in living in Makai was the fact that I remember coming in there and uh, asked me, "Oh, what what were you doing? What do you do?" I said, "I'm a quantity surveyor," and they were like, "What?" <laughs> it's so it's so true over in in Australia like it, it's kind of a, a job that flies under the radar isn't it it's not <laughs> something so common yeah and I'm like what I'm like I said what are you what do you do I said oh my quantity I said what and I, I had to go through the trouble of trying to explain uh, to to the person what it is that we do mm-hmm. and then I I Slowly, I began to realize that they have um, the the role of the quantity surveyor have been split mm-hmm. into various. Uh, we have the estimator, you have the contract administrator, you have the project manager, you have um, a, a few of them. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, the quantity surveyor does all these um, various roles all in one. Mm-hmm. So that was um, one one of the interesting things. And there, I found it very difficult to get um, a job, a job that would be able to accommodate. Once I had my, uh, my, my older child, childcare was an issue and things like that. So I had to, we had to move to um, Perth, which was a bigger city, again, to give myself the um, opportunity to have other companies to work for and to um, get um, the family back on track. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I guess it must have been quite quite a shock then coming from the UK where quantity surveying is so prevalent is you know there's such a huge demand for for QSs to come to Mackay which essentially is as you said is a small town and realize that quantity surveying isn't isn't a huge thing what what, what was that like I wouldn't say it was a shock but then it was more of a cultural difference mm-hmm. yeah because here, probably they, they haven't grasped the need to have a quantity surveyor. And slowly I begin to realize that they don't see the need to have a quantity surveyor. Mm-hmm. Most of the jobs that come through, uh, well, the, um, the client wants something, uh, the owner wants something done, he calls the contractor first. Mm-hmm. Or puts the project out to tender, you have the drawing, you have the specifications and put them out to tender. And the contractor comes in and bids for the job. So they haven't um, realized or they haven't um, grasped the need to have a quantity surveyor to come in because there's no benchmark. Yeah. And what I realized is there's no benchmark in um, whatever the contractor brings. So if you have three or four contractors and all of them come, are coming around the same price for whatever the project is, 
well, we choose the lowest tender. Mm. Not having in mind or not thinking that, oh, the lowest price or have they all considered some, is there something wrong with it? There isn't that sort of need mm -hmm. to be able to do that. And the, um, the consequences of it is all the, um, the flow on effect that you see is there are a lot of claims in here. So most of the projects that come through, there are a lot of claims coming through, things that can easily be picked up by an independent person or can be easily be picked up, has not been picked up until the project is well underway. So I'm like, mm, okay. But then there isn't much you can do, even with advocating for even bigger companies, they still don't see the need to have a quantity surveillance. Has that changed much since since when you first arrived in Australia? You know, has the, the thinking changed around quantity surveying much since then? No, it hasn't. The weird thing that has happened is when somebody looks for, uh, anytime somebody um, has a project and they want to be able to um, have an um, estimate together, they would say, well, I need an estimator. Mm -hmm. But if there's an issue with disputes or claims or variations, I need a quantity surveyor. Mm -hmm. I'm like, how does that work? <laughs> Why do you need a quantity surveyor when you have issues and, and there are problems looming? That's when you need a quantity surveyor. And you need an estimator when you're, uh, you're trying to put um, the project together. You, would, you don't do that. You, you need a quantity surveyor from the word go. Once you make that decision, you need that person, you need a quantity surveyor to work with you all the way. And all throughout the stages of the project, you need that person mm -hmm. to be able to help you with um, cost advice, um, cost advice to be able to tell you what, what information you have, what it can help you to do the next stage, what procurement or tendering that you need to go, to go for based on the fact that the information that you've got ready and yeah. moving forward. But then that understanding is not there. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's just the way that the construction sector is, is, is run in, in Australia. But one, one, one thing I thought that, that was quite interesting as well, Ajwa, so you've worked in like different industries, not, not yeah. just purely construction. Have you noticed many, many differences in, in how things are done, like in mining or energy, metal resources compared to construction? No, it cuts across. <laughs> yeah, the same. It cuts across, and and I can't understand. It's um, I, I find it a, a bit mind-boggling to understand why they would be able to do that. Or better still, they would have the estimator for the initial part of the project, put the project together, and everything else. Then that's it. The, pro mm -hmm. uh, the estimator's job is gone, and the project gets handed over to the um, contract administrator for them and the project managers for them to take over. It's okay. However, that person that you hand the project to should have a history of how the project works. Mm. Should have the history of how the project was put together in the, in the initial stages. And that's when you need a quantity surveyor because with that going forward, it helps you to be able to analyze the project better, to uh, monitor the project better, and to be able to pick up where the pitfalls and the gaps are mm -hmm. and solve put solutions or deliberate, deliberate solutions in place before it happens. Yeah, yeah. You see, you're, you're, you're proactively managing the project as opposed to reactively managing yeah. and 
desperately trying to negotiate a variation when you could have foreseen that or, or whatever it might have been? Exactly, yeah. Either working in the oil and gas industry, uh, mining, construction, it's always the same. Yeah. Are the contracts similar? No, because you have, um, you have the standard contracts, um, the AS2124, um, um, and in that contract, some of them are amended heavily. Mm-hmm. That they don't look at what it is anymore. And uh, some of the contracts to uh, are customized. And again, the pitfalls with the customized contracts is one of the things that it hasn't been tested. So if there are any issues that are, uh, need to pop up, they haven't been tested before, the issues will pop up as they go. It's up to the contract administrator or the um, project manager to be actively monitoring the project and picking up all the faults that there is that would come through as the project goes. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand what, what, what you're saying. Adjua, and in terms of your, obviously, when you moved to Perth and obviously you, you worked in, in the sector for a couple of years and then you decided to, to go and set your own business up. Is that correct? Yes. When I came to Perth, I worked for a consultant in here doing claims. So um, during the downturn, I was made redundant. So once, at the time when I was made redundant, I, I had a, um, a one-year-old child, my second one. So I decided, well, um, this is the time I need to um, set up the business. Because mm-hmm. already for a long time, I've had that sort of vision to um, set up my own business that I can be able to um, work as a quantity surveyor and also work as a claims consultant. Mm-hmm. Just bring the two together, not working as a quantity surveyor on the other end and working as a claims consultant. What is a claims consultant? So a claims consultant basically um, is preparing, assessing and reviewing all the variations and the associated claims arising oh. out of the project. Oh, okay. I get you. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't. I, I didn't pick that up. <laughs> um, so, so what what was it like then? Because I, I, I think that's you know really it's going to be really prevalent. There's there's going to be a lot of people out there who who have also been made redundant during during this COVID year. And what 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 were the what were the main challenges then? Sort of getting getting set up and, and starting your own business, Ajwa. I think for my um, I use myself as an example from from my point of view. I've only been in Perth around three years now about until um, I was made redundant. And in the, in the, um, in the middle of a, an economic downturn, without no contact, I had to start from um, ground zero. So the, the main challenge was getting people to know you. Mm-hmm. People don't know you. They don't know what you do. They don't know, um, well, they're struggling to know what a quantity surveyor does anyway. <laughs> So you, you are on that sort of path trying to um, build yourself up with contacts, with people to know you and get people to talk to. One of the challenges that I had was the first one was not having any contacts and even using social media, inviting people and telling, um, getting people to talk to you was a hard bit. Because mm-hmm. in, in Perth, um, people don't know you much. If they don't know you much, they don't want to have a charity to come out and, and talk to you. At the time, um, yeah, believe me, some, some people were very uh, nice. They were able to come out, talk to you because they understand what you do. But others wasn't that uh, much receptive. But again, it's, uh, setting up a business is much more of a persistent. Mm. You have to be persistent. You need to be able to have the end goal or start with the end in mind. It's not going to be easy. You need to be able to try and, and do your best in 
building up not the brand, I wouldn't say brand, but being able to get in front of people is mm-hmm. one one of the things. And getting to talk to the other the person is another thing as well. So that sort of process is challenging. And yes. um, most of the times it's it's very heartbreaking. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> I've I've only set this business up a year ago. Um so six months of 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 the first our first year were during COVID, which which was certainly certainly challenging. But I, I agree with everything that you're saying there, Ajua. You, you've got to be persistent. You've got to get in front of people and and try and educate them on on what you do. But did you find that there was anything that you that you did worked better than others? Like was it like social media or connecting with people or going to events or anything like that? I think the social media helped much because then you need to cut through the um, the front gate and you go straight and directly to the person, the people that you need to talk to. So um, that was well, that was a good thing. The challenging bit was at some point I had to um, do cold calling and you have the situation whereby some, some people were um, not that receptive and some people were like, no, I don't want to talk to you. And again, um, whichever way that works is, is people. People, you can't change how people uh, feel or how people react to you. But again, just constantly being persistent in um, talking or sending emails periodically, maybe every three months, every six months, well, it's a long time, but then you, yeah. can't, send, <laughs> you can't send emails every month there about it. Periodically trying to get people to, uh, to know you or to be able to understand what you do is one of the key to um, getting people to talk. What was it like doing that first uh, cold call? Was it pretty pretty daunting or were you fine? It's daunting. Yeah. You don't know what the, um, the person at the other side would say to you. There are times where the, um, the other person has not been um, that not, mm. which, which um, in, in a way, not that I understand, but in a, in a way, what can you do? There's nothing that you can do about it. All that you have to do is just um, take it on a chin and just keep moving forward. Yeah, because it's something that it, it, it's, it's actually quite a, a challenging thing to do is to cold call the business, sell your services, and come out the other end and haven't achieved something. That, that's, that's not easy to do. Like, I, I know, you know too well, nearly 10 years of, of cold calling, it's still a challenge for me today. Like I, sometimes I ring and I'll, I'll, I'll cringe, you know, I'm like, Oh no, they're going to, they're going to hang up. They're going to hang up. But then if they hang up, sure. At least you've tried. But I think that's something that that's really important for people to know is that, you know, if you are going to set up your own business, it's not going to be just as easy of work's going to fall into your lap. You know, yeah. it's, it's a hard slog to get it up and running. Mm-hmm. When, yeah. when, at what point did you feel like, Oh, it's, 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 okay, now, you know, there's, I've got some clients, I've got some business. Was it after year one, year two, or is it still kind of like that? After two years, it hasn't changed, but after two years, it, it got a bit better because then you find um, some people that are um, like-minded, that understand what you do. And I've had a, um, the opportunity to, to work with um, some lovely people, um, some nice people. And again, they understand and they see the benefits of the things that you do, the project that you work for them. And once um, you are done, you ask for feedback. Mm-hmm. And the feedback that you get, it's, 
they appreciate the job that you've done. They appreciate the effort that you've put in there, which is, which again gives you that sort of motivation to keep going. Mm. But then you still, um, again, the other side is you still, it's, it's still an uphill battle, mm-hmm. trying to um, still get to um, have more people on the more people or more clients to come through and more jobs to come through. And again, as if, as to a business owner, you understand that your income or your um, your work stream should not be dependent on just one person or just yeah. one area. It needs to be able to spread out. So um, what we're doing is, again, is to be able to um, talk to a few more people every now and then to see if we can be able to spread our way. When you were starting up your, your own business, Ajua, obviously because you've got experience in construction and mining, did, did you have like any specific you know, marketing strategy or any strategy put in place on how you were going to target clients or was it kind of just off the cuff and just feeling things out? What I did was to use social media more because trying now for the first couple of months and realizing that cold calling wouldn't get me that far and also writing to businesses wouldn't get me that far. What I did was when I started the business, my marketing strategy was to make a list of all the architectural companies in, the, um, in Perth, mm-hmm. got all the lists out and started calling them one by one or emailed them with a, an introduction of what I do and a copy of the uh, probability statement that I had at the time. I got a few success stories from there, which was fine. But again, I said, that, that is not enough. You need to go through it. So that's when I did, um, uh, started doing the cold calling. Because you need to be able to um, hear the person from the other side of the um, on the phone, which I did. The other thing I um, harnessed more was the social media. As I mentioned before, you cut across all the front gate. What the first person you talk to? So now going directly to the people in charge of the projects or who are high on the stakeholder or the managerial level was another way of me um, advertising or being able to uh, present myself and the services I do. That helped because, again, one, they understand what it is. They, have the, they make the, um, the final decisions. So they would have that option of saying, yes, I want you on board or no, uh, not yet. Um, I'll need you. When I need you, I'll call you. That, that was the three strategies I was working on. Well, I, I love that. Um, I think it's, it's super, super important to have different techniques in order to win mm-hmm. business, Ajua. Um, and obviously, one of the main motivators for you to set up your own business was because you had a young family. Did, did, did you find that it was sort of good to have your own business or, or was it kind of like, whoa, this wasn't what I was expecting. I expected to have a lot more free time. <laughs> um, I think one the motivator was to have um, um, together flexibility to take care of the, um, my two kids at a time, which they were um, two under four. But I do a lot more work. No, even though I, ha- I have time to be able to um, do everything that else I have to do with them and set them up, take them to school and everything else. My husband also um, helps. He's a great help. But I realized that I do a lot now because I'm by myself. Um, I have other, um, other, my colleagues to help the other part of it. But then you spend more time on the business as opposed to when I was an employee. I don't have to do this. <laughs> It's a myth. It's a, I think it's a myth that when people say that you have more time when you have your own business, it's like, no, it doesn't. It's not true. Because <laughs> it, it, when, you're, when you're an employee, typically you'll, you'll finish at a certain time 
most people won't won't think about it until the next day but when you're a business owner you just never stop no it's something that i'm only coming to terms with i'm like can i ever really have a holiday like will it ever be the same again i don't know (laughs) yeah Yeah, i work on holidays and anytime anytime we're going on holiday um um, i have my laptop i'm working Mm. well if we're driving um i'm driving i'm i'm still typing um, my mind is thinking about something, something that needs to do. And every time I, I have a pen and a paper handy, every time I yeah. have an idea, I have to put it down. So it, it's a myth. Oh, yeah, it is a myth. But you, 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 <laughs> seem, you seem like a really sort of ambitious person. Like you've always got like something extra to tick off the list. Obviously, I, I get that from your degree and then go on the, the other side of the world to study and then doing another degree and then go to the other side of the world like are you that type of person that that always wants to keep improving and and, and keep sort of developing yes uh, i think um coming from a background um my parents were um i, I give thanks to my parents for that sort of training my my father would say that as, as even as little as we were it was like think about in five years what do you want to do mm. In 10 years, what do you want to do? To be, to be able to every, every time have a plan in place of what you want to do um, the, next, the next year, then things like that. So in my mind, I've grown up with that of having a plan every time for what I'm going to do next, what it is I'm going to do. I'm not um, um, to be able to have a plan every time will keep me going. Without a plan, I'm like, I'm lost. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what else to yeah, do. Yeah, me too. No, absolutely. I, I like I like some sometimes like every once every quarter like having a day with no plan like I'm not having a, there's no plan today but when it comes around and it's Monday morning again you, you you've got to get get back and and you got to get a big to do list and and get working through but I guess just 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 finally then um just to, to round up Ajwa if there's someone out there who is a quantity severe at the moment and they've been made redundant and you know not too sure what to do is it something that you would recommend starting your own business yes starting your own business would give you that sort of would take you out out of the um you don't hide behind the shadows anymore mm-hmm. you, you cannot hide behind the shadows it makes you um, want to think on your feet it's um it's giving you a lot of skill set that probably you thought you didn't have but you have them to be able to get out there and work, to be able to get out there and talk to people, to be able to get out there and be the leader in you or your leadership qualities, and also to be able to be switched on, uh, knowing that, understanding the, the construction industry, what it is I'm doing, what the project I'm working on, having the end in mind at every single time is important because you as a quantity surveyor need to have the end in mind at all times to ensure that you are on top. Mm-hmm. Oh, agree, one hundred percent. And just just a few short questions to to finish off. Then, Ajua, what, what what do you love about our industry? What do you love about construction? Oh, it's a unique environment. Everything, <laughs> every time. When I've told myself I've seen it all, no, I haven't. No. Everything is different, and um, again, because everything is different, the solution that you give to each of the problems. It's different. It's fundamentally the same, but the approach to it is different every time. Mm-hmm. It's like a science and an art. You've always got to have that creativity to exactly. think of those ideas. 
what ideas, what what it is I would do to be able to draw out what what I need or the information I need to be able to um, put it out there. And once you get the information, how do I break that information into smaller, simplified, manageable tasks and to be able to deliver to the client the way you want them to see and to understand? What do you think that we can improve on in construction? Education. Yeah. Why is that? Awareness for people to understand what a quantity surveyor does and to all also bring more girls in. Yeah. How do, we, how do we bring more females into quantity surveying and construction? Again, it comes down to education. Mm. It comes down to an awareness. It comes down to understanding of what it is that um, the quantity surveyor does and what they bring to, um, the, to, to, the, to the tax, to the, um, the table. It's not a male job. It's not, um, a, um, it's not um, a job defined by um, whichever male dominated. No, it's for everybody. So why don't you just come in, in there, come in to be part of it, understanding what it is. It brings some form of diversity. Mm-hmm. Some diversity in thinking, so diversity in how things are done, diversity in approach and everything else. Diversity in all areas is good. That's why I think like, during these particular times where you know, it's a, essentially a recession again or we're going through an economic downturn where the government needs to step in and say, right, we need industry leaders that we can put in front of, you know, high school leavers and we need both female and we need male. Because, I, I, you know, when I was leaving school, I never really thought about construction, but I, well, I'm 100% sure that the girls we were leaving and were the same age as me wouldn't have ever thought about construction you know so like we need to get people like yourself and other sort of female leaders in front of high school leavers and say this is the, the career that you could have you know like you can go from ghana to scotland to london to Mackay to perth you can travel the world and do all this stuff exactly, yeah <laughs> yeah it's so, i think it's so important and then it, it cracks me up as well there's because in five years' time, there will be another skill shortage and there won't be enough engineers or quantity surveyors or project managers. And then we're back to score one again. So it's not, now is the time to really focus on bringing new people into the industry and especially females who only make up a small portion of the, of, of the industry and it needs to change, I agree. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, um, I mean, from my time, I think 25 years ago, the, the issue was there and now it's there. So that means we haven't done much within that time. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, we need to keep on um, talking. We need to do more than what we did. Then it was one is to three. In every, um, in every engineering and science that I was in. So now we need to do it more. We need to have, we need to close that gap. We don't need to have one is to three or one is to five. We need to close that gap. One is to one to be able to um, increase the awareness and diversity. Well said. What, what, what one thing are you excited about? That's the final question. I promise. <laughs> oh, um, I don't know. I'm always excited about something. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the, the, the few of the things that have been quite exciting this year is like the acceleration of, of technology being yeah. utilized and being able to work from home and people being like a little bit more accepting to it. Like and remote working. 
I think uh, remote working is one of the things that um, I think the construction industry at the time didn't realize that remote working is something that they can do. But now I'm excited about the opportunities that remote working is going to bring. That means from here, we can be able to work from anywhere in the world and to be able to deliver projects um, the way they have to be using um, the latest technology and things like that. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Ajua, for, for being my, my guest today on Made the Measure. If there's anyone out there that wants to maybe connect with you, you know, if it's someone who, who maybe wants you to, to help them, or if it's someone female quantity severe or junior quantity severe wants to reach out, what's the, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Is it LinkedIn or? Yeah, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. So you find that's, that's an easy way to find me because, uh, yeah, go on LinkedIn, find me. Um, go, on your, go on our website and uh, um, the info at quantumfaces.com.au is there or adua.aban at quantumfaces.com.au is there. Send me an email and um, I'll connect with you and we can have a chat. Perfect. Well, thank you for being my guest today. Thank you, Mick. Thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing. Therefore, as an independent podcast, your support is invaluable. Please like, share, screenshot, give a review, or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show. The more people that know about the podcast, the better the guests that we can bring to you, and the better the content you will consume. Thank you for joining me. I'm Mick Donaghy, and this was Made to Measure.